You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. If you will, open up your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and read through the rest of the chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation they will return here, For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenazite, the Kadamite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Gergesite, and the Jebusite. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet with us this morning. I pray with Paul that you would give me grace to make your word clear as I ought to speak. I pray that you would help me to do good for your people. And you would not merely give us understanding into this text. But Father, I pray that the grace that is celebrated, is shared, is poured out in this text. Lord, I pray it would change everything in our lives. I pray that this grace would spread and change the world. And we confess that we need it. Father, I pray that you would make us a people who know grace, who love grace, and who share your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, my outline is very simple. I want us to see four things in this text. The first thing I want you to see is disaster. Secondly, promise. Then we'll see Abram's doubt and God's guarantee. A lot can happen in a week, can it? This week has proven yet again that this world is very sick and in need of healing. If, if we polled our neighbors, what do you think is wrong in the world? And we would get lots of answers to that question. But, but I believe there would be some answers that we would hear over and over again. Right now, obviously, I think a lot of people would say, let me tell you what's wrong with this world. Deep-seated personal racism. Other people would say it's, it's violence, corruption, greed, deep political division. Financial insecurity, income inequality. Other people would say, no, it's an entitlement mentality. Some people would say climate change is what's wrong in the world. Other people would say it's a weak U.S. economy and, and, and a rising deficit, oppression of various groups in our society. Other people would say instability in places like the Middle East. Our biggest problem, some would say, is aggression from countries like Russia and China. That's what's wrong with the world. If we ask Christians we would get additional answers to that question. Lots of Christians would say the problem with the world is that we are a society who have abandoned God. And that's led us to a corrosion of morals and character and duty and a deep sense of responsibility. It's led us to a breakdown of the family, to drug and alcohol abuse, to abortion, to human trafficking, to the sexual revolution, to a growing and aggressive secularism, a, a failure to practically, sacrificially love our neighbor. But, but then if we pressed harder, and we said, but let's talk about in your life. Where does, where does your pain come from? If people were honest, we would hear things like this. Tension in key relationships. My children and grandchildren making bad choices. Bad news I keep getting from the doctor. Worries over money. Some people would say the most pain in my life comes from I just don't feel like anybody loves me. 
I'm not appreciated. A lack of fulfillment at home or at work, loneliness, heartbreak in romantic relationships, abuse, sexual frustrations, depression, deep sadness over the death of people that we love. And sort of this catch-all, the pain in my life is just caused by, by unfulfilled dreams. When I was young, I thought life would be way different and better than this. It's a long list. And we all handle it very differently. Some people, even looking at that list, have a really good attitude. I'm thinking of that that song, What a Wonderful World. And then other people come in there way more cynical than that. And I'm thinking like Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall, or or Merle Haggard's, is a good times really over for good. But most people would agree That even though in this world there are pleasures, small and great to be enjoyed, life is hard. Planet Earth on this side of Genesis 3 is a hard place to live. Right? Haven't you been frustrated about how long it takes to work to make progress and then how quickly that progress can just vanish? It takes weeks of hard work and sacrifice to lose a pound and like one meal to put it all back on. You you, you spend weeks learning something. But if you don't use it, everything you learn will vanish. Money's hard to make. It's easy to lose. On this side of Genesis 3, we are constantly fighting decay and corruption and discouragement. Here's my question. How do you survive in a world like that? How do, you, how, do you, how do you keep putting one foot in front of another in a world like that? How do you get up every morning and not give yourself to just seeking little... Frivolous pleasures that we basically can use like little hits of a drug. How do, you, how, do you, how do you wake up with a deep sense of purpose and hope? And even in this world, a delight in God that spills over into a life of love and gospel mission that wants to make a difference and actually believes that God is going to make a difference. How do we not just survive, but how do we thrive in this world? Aren't you tempted sometimes to give up? Aren't you tempted sometimes just to give in to bitterness? Aren't you tempted just to say, God, I just wish there was a pause button so I could just catch my breath for a minute. Aren't you ever tempted to resign yourself to surviving and building for yourself a little oasis Of pleasure in a hostile world. Here's the one thing I want us to acknowledge this morning. That compared to the way the world was meant to be. Compared to the way the world was designed to be. This is a disaster. And and even if your life is going well. Can can you all agree that at very least. That you can say that even the best is disappointing. 
I'm thinking of a quote. I wish I would have, I wish I would have thought of it earlier and, and brought you this quote. It's an interview of 60 Minutes with Tom Brady after he won another Super Bowl. And the interviewer with, with Tom Brady is like, look at you, Tom. You got, you got multiple Super Bowl rings. You're at the top of your game. All the women in the world love you. You got more money than you're ever going to spend. Like, it must be amazing to be you. And Tom Brady said, you know what? Here's what I ask myself over and over. Is this it? Is this all there is? Here's what's interesting. You think about that long list, but if we would interview the Lord, He would would have a much shorter list than we would about all the problems in the world. The reality is, he could, he could tell you verbatim what the problem in the world is and only use three letters. Sin. That's the problem with the world. It sounds too simple. It, it, it sounds like I'm simplifying things. I encourage you to think about this. Not just let It's simple, but don't let it just pass you by. Sin, a disregard for what God says is right, is my problem. Sin is your problem. Sin is the problem in the world. It is the root of everything that's wrong. It's always a bad idea. It always is foolish. It always leads to disaster. What is it that makes the world so hard and disappointing? And the answer is sin. Get this. When sin is destroyed, the world's going to be healed. Therefore, I'm glad to move on to the second word I want you to consider today. And that is the word promise. It's crazy. But every week, even if we have to wear masks, we are determined to meet together to sing. To meet together bearing all the scars of life in order to sing. Look at today, thousands of people are going to die today. Many cities all over this country are waking up to an absolute disaster of, of, in, in, as a result of riots last night. We are being torn politically as a nation. And here, meanwhile, Christians are gathering together in buildings, in homes, outside, around the computer screen, so they can sing, praise the Lord, to smile, even under mask, as we enjoy God. And then we leave, eager to share the hope that we've gotten to taste A little bit together. Why? Maybe the real question is how? How in this world do we sing? And the answer is because we have been given a promise. A promise that God is going to fix everything that is wrong. Not just in the world. But in us. 
A promise that God is going to restore everything that is broken. A promise that when this is over and the dust settles, we are going to stand and say, He has done all things well. My whole life, I wanted Him to do it a different way. When the dust settles, we are going to stand and say, He did it exactly right. This was fantastic. That promise has been like a bright thread woven on a tapestry of black this whole time that we have studied the book of Genesis. I cut out a huge portion of the sermon today to trace this, but I'll leave you. We saw it first in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We saw how, how the world moved quickly into disaster. That it was, we basically got a, a take two with Noah. It was like a second creation with a second Adam. And then we saw quickly in Genesis chapter 11, I mean, yeah, in Genesis chapter 11, the world goes again into absolute disaster and then at the very end of Genesis chapter 11 we meet a man named Abram and in Genesis chapter 12 God gives an incredible gift to Abram he gives Abram promises look at look at the promises to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 now the Lord said to Abram Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And if you've been around here as we studied Genesis, you notice that we keep going back to verse 12. And it seems like the more I go back to it, the sweeter it gets. Two weeks ago, I, was, I started studying the book of Galatians. And I'm in Galatians chapter 3, and, and I read this. He says, So Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure as those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham, the Spirit foreseeing, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but here I keep reading that verse, and I'm like, How is that the gospel? And then it's like the lights came on. All the nations we blessed in you. That is the gospel. God is not going to leave this world the way that it is. This, this world that deserves and is now living under the curse of God. God's not going to leave it that way. All the nations, red, brown, yellow, black, white, all the nations are going to be blessed. And live under the blessing of God. In other words, this whole world, the one suffering under the weight of racism and political unrest and broken families, rebellion against God, economic uncertainty, cancer and corona, this world is going to be rescued and given new life under the blessing of God. And talk about God moving in mysterious ways. Lord, how are you going to do that? How are you going to save the world? What do you expect? I expect fireworks, something, confetti. God goes to an unknown man in the Middle East who's worshiping idols and he makes him promises. I'm going to give you a land 
And in that land, I'm going to grow you into a nation. And through that nation, I am going to save the world. I am going to bless all the nations. It's it's what he says. So in building this nation, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens. And count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. It's important for this to be clear in our mind what is happening. It's very important for you to feel what is happening here. This is not merely a private transaction between God and this man Abram. Again, Galatians chapter 3 says that's the gospel. Abram, in you, all the nations are going to be blessed. In you, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to plant you in this land. And through that nation, I am going to rescue the entire world. Do you with me? So here we have disaster caused by sin. God is promising to fix that disaster. And I want you to notice what happens next. And I love, I love how real to life the Bible is. I love how our, our, he, our, our heroes have clay feet. It, it helps me to see how Abram responds. Notice that Abram responds with at least a shred of doubt. It's true. Verse 6, we saw it. He believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But even after the promise, look at what he asked in verse 8. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Don't you love that honesty? It's just a reminder to me that, that you, if you're a believer... You and I are standing smack dab in the footprints of Abram. We have been rescued out of darkness. We've been given promises. Think about what you've been promised, believer. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love them. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this is an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. No more tears, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more cancer, no more disappointment, no more sin. These are promises that come to you from the mouth of God Almighty and yet are you not tempted to stand exactly where Abram stood, having been rescued, receiving those promises, and then respond by saying, but how do I know that you're going to keep those promises? Now, I'm trying to imagine if I were God, thankfully, everybody's like, we're glad you're not. Like, I think if that were the response, I would have to take a few minutes and take a few deep breaths. I hope this text becomes to you like a portrait of God. A picture of his heart that you will put on your refrigerator and and you will put on your mirror and you'll put on the dashboard of your car and you'll put on your computer screen. You will put it on your smartphone. This is a picture of God that you, you will be reminded of over and over and over again. I want you to be amazed at how God responds to Abram's doubts. 
He responds with a guarantee. Look at verse 9. So he said to him, in response to this question, how may I know that I will possess it? Here's God's answer. So God said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not, there, is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete." Some of this we're skipping to next week, but look at verse 17. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. Be amazed at what God does. Here's God's answer, verse 9. Bring to me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. It's very interesting to me that Abram knew exactly what God was asking for. If you, if we won't go there now, but if you go home and you read Jeremiah chapter 34, you will see that this is a custom that Abram would have been very familiar with. That, that this is how ancient Near Eastern peoples solemnly ratified covenants. We shake hands, right? We sign our signature on a contract. We cross our heart and hope to die. If, if we're really serious, we swear on our mama's grave. But notice, for important covenants, ancient Near Eastern people took animals, cut them in half, and I'm, I'm choosing here not to be graphic for the sake of children, but, but you can imagine the gore without me speaking of the gore, right? Laying the animals out, paired up side by side. And then what would happen are the people entering that covenant would walk through those dead carcasses. And you kind of see what the what the picture is, again, Jeremiah 34 makes this explicit. That as the people entering the covenant together would walk through those dead and cut in half animals, that they would say, let me be like these animals if I break my end of the bargain. Let, let me be treated like these if I don't keep my end of the deal. But I want you to notice what happens in our text. Look at verse 17. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. Do you see that? R remind me what Abram's doing during this time. He's asleep, verse 12 says. 
Abram's asleep, and as he slept, a smoking oven, a, a flaming torch, smoke and fire. I'm thinking, I'm thinking pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that leads God's people out of, out of the land of Egypt, just like he just promised in the verses before that we'll get to next week. I'm thinking God resting on Mount Sinai with, with smoke and with fire. Symbols of the very presence of God passes through the carcasses. Look at this. Verse 17, to ratify the covenant that God is making with Abram, God passes through those carcasses alone. Abram sleeps. God walks through those carcasses. Ray Vanderland says it perfectly. When God made covenant with His people, He did something no human being would have even considered doing. In the usual blood covenant, each party was responsible for keeping only his side of the promise. When God made a covenant with Abram, however, he promised to keep both sides of the agreement. If this covenant is broken, Abram, for whatever reason, my unfaithfulness or yours, I will pay the price, said God. If you or your descendants for whom you are making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. And at that moment, God Almighty pronounced the death sentence on His Son, Jesus. Be amazed this morning by grace. Be amazed this morning by one-sided grace. In this world, we all agree that we're in a mess. Even the very best of times are, 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 are temporary. Even, even enjoying the, the best of pleasures. Just like Tom Brady, you grow thirsty again. The rest of the time, life just hurts. I want you to notice God is promising to rescue us. He's promising to turn this world of heartbreak into a literal paradise. And the question on our minds is, God... How do I know that I'm going to possess it? How do I know that you're going to keep this promise? And His answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, where the covenant keeper was treated like the covenant breaker, where every last sin that you have committed was paid for with the blood of God's own Son. Do you see why we sing? Do you see why we praise Him? Do you see why we come every week, regardless of what's going on in the world, to say, thank you! You haven't kept the covenant. You're not going to keep the covenant. Here's some really good news. It doesn't depend on you. He walked through the carcasses alone. While you slept. He wants you to rest. 
He, he wants you to rest in that grace. He wants you to trust His grace. Tommy, you don't understand. I keep on messing up. That's the whole point. He walked through the carcasses alone. Tommy, you don't understand. Even my faith is weak. Everything about you is weak. He walked through the carcasses alone. Cast yourself on grace. You just have to be weak enough to fall. Fall on grace. Open the eyes of your heart and see. Receive blood-bought, complete forgiveness in this world of disaster. Rest in the guaranteed promise of grace. That, that is the answer. It's the answer to how this world is going to be fixed. God's answer was a one-sided covenant with Abram. That results in a gory, brutal death of his son. That secures our forgiveness. God's answer to sin was self-sacrificing grace. And when we embrace this grace is when we start to have hope. When we embrace this grace is when we start thriving instead of just surviving. When we embrace this grace, this is the power to love people. Here's the power to forgive This is the only power in the world that will overcome bitterness. It's the only power in the world that will empower you to actually, from the heart, love your enemies. It's the only power in the world that actually gives real hope. You don't put your head in the sand and just just embrace positive thinking. But in this world, you can see and feel and know the disaster and still have hope. The answer is grace. It's a It's a fuel for joy in this world. And when this world embraces this grace, police violence and riots and racism and corruption and greed and political division and drug abuse and human trafficking is all going to be a memory. The good news of the Bible is that God is going to bless the nations. He is going to bless the nations. The world is going to live under the blessing of God. And He's proven it. He's purchased it. Through the blood of His Son. He walked through the carcasses alone. Trust in Him. And then pour out that grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've made us to sing. I am thankful for the power of grace that regardless of what is happening, your people can sing. Lord, I pray we wouldn't sing because we love music. I rejoice today to get to hear voices while we're singing. But I pray we would sing because we have been transformed and amazed by grace. And God, I pray we would keep singing and we would keep sharing 
And we would keep pouring out grace on our spouses and on our children and on our crabby neighbors and on people who really disagree with us. Until you fix the problem of sin and bring us to paradise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.